Hello, everyone, and welcome or welcome back to Tech Unraveled, brought to you by Vistacom, where we unravel the AV industry. We go beyond the buzzwords. We get real and dirty with experts and thought leaders in a wide variety of sectors. Um, I'm Josh Herring, Marketing Communications Specialist with Vistacom. And I'm Leanna Russell, Vistacom Sales and Marketing Manager, and we are your hosts. Okay, so as many of you know, Vistacom's Control Room Solutions Division has really become a pillar of our integration business. Um, our history lies with AV integration, but for over 20 years, actually, we've been working with um, within command and control room environments, um, designing and engineering these spaces from overview video walls to technical furniture, data processing, operator workspaces, the whole gamut. Um, within those four walls of the control room. Yeah, you can check out the breadth of all of our control room work on our website if you'd like. We have a ton of great case studies over there with some really um, high profile projects. But with all of that said, today we are super excited to bring in two of our premier control room partners to talk specifically about a dynamic market, the energy and utilities market, which is a vertical that can certainly be both fascinating and complex. Yes, that is for sure. Um, but we're going to break down the fundamentals, um, the market trends when it comes to technology um, within the utility or energy grid operation centers. So with us here, we have Lee Pagman. Um, Lee's national sales manager for utilities with Barco. And also with us is Sean Brady. He is VP of product development with Winstead. So welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're super excited to have you two. I know we have certainly a longstanding uh, history with you guys, but for anyone who doesn't know you, can you just start off by giving us a brief snapshot of your background in both the control room industry and the energy and utilities market? Sure. Um, so I'll go ahead and start Lee Pagden uh, with Barco here. I uh, spent my entire career focused on the mission critical space. Uh, started out on the systems integration side, um, doing a variety of different vertical markets about 10 years ago. Switched over to the manufacturing side of our business. Um, also align myself with the electric utility market and have been doing that ever since. And five years strong at, at Barco heading up their utility. Awesome. How about you, Sean? Sean Brady, uh, Vice President of Product Development with Winstead. Uh, again, great to be here. So I, again, have about 15 years of experience in the industry. Um, started in the integration side, just like Lee did, uh, and then kind of moved from, in, uh, from integration engineering into uh, design uh, consult consultation, uh, then going into the manufacturing side with some display manufacturers, and then uh, over to Winstead to do some product development on the console side of things. But uh, really have experience in all types of different control room applications. Uh, utilities has always been uh, my specific vertical that I've always paid the most attention to, uh, but it's nice to be able to kind of bring a lot of those outside influences from the different types of control rooms into utilities and then vice versa, taking that utility expertise and taking it outside into the other verticals too. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're so grateful to have both of you guys here today um, and to learn a lot from you and from your experience. So um, today we're going to be talking about control centers for energy transmission, distribution and utilities like we talked about. Um, so our listeners actually run the gamut of technology providers, consultants and end users. Um, but I think there are some common misunderstandings about the nuances of mission critical technologies um, in control room design, as well as kind of what's truly important to get right for those grid and utility operators. 
Um, so Sean, I want to start with you on this. Can you kind of paint a picture just broadly on what these like really incredibly important operators perform on a daily basis? Yeah, sure. The, the operator, you know, it serves a, a very important role in the overall uh, functionality of the electrical system. Uh, and, and these guys have to manage so many different tasks and they're looking at so many different things. Um, you know, on a, on a traditional desk, whether it's distribution, generation, or, or transmission operators, uh, their tool sets vary. But again, each one of these tool sets um, are, are kind of split into different things. So you've got the actual tool that they're using, like SCADA, to kind of con uh, control and monitor the health of the, of the grid itself. But then they've got all these other tools, like GIS, where they're trying to manage where all the, the different uh, the, the different trucks are on, in the fleet. They're managing where specific assets are. Um, you, you know, they've got all these other types of, of data systems that they're trying to pull information back from the grid um, to kind of give them just status information to say, okay, is my uh, is is the system flowing the way that it should? Are there any peaks? Are there any valleys in in uh, in trying to keep uh, the live voltages and everything exactly the way that they should be? Uh, so there's, I would say on an on an on an average on an average, these guys are probably looking at probably six to twelve different applications. Uh, you know, at every given moment to try to maintain the the functionality of the grid and to keep it stable. Uh, and, and again, each one of these these different subsets and utilities, like I said, transmission, distribution, and generation, they're all looking at different things. While they're all trying to kind of accomplish the same thing, all of them have to work together in harmony. So you've got generation guys that are feeding power into the transmission operators, and the transmission operators are trying to maintain the overall health of the system so that the distribution operators can then also take that and ultimately get it out to your home uh, in a safe and reliable way. Uh, but but that's, again, that's, that's, it, there's so much stuff that they have to look at. And that's why it's important that when we look at their environment, that we really try to enhance it and use some of the technology that we're bringing to the, to the space uh, to, to manage it well, to break it up and keep it as an efficient operation, but also to make it, uh, you know, incredibly comfortable for them to look at because they have to work long shifts. Yeah, I, I think that something we have all talked about before is the importance of that operator. And I think it was one of you who said you like to take an operator out approach. Um, so, Lee, uh, kind of a two-part question to you. Um, what are you seeing that's changing and evolving as far as the operator roles and responsibilities? And why is it so important to start with the operator when you're considering um, the design and outfit of a control room center? Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, the foundational principle of the electric grid is just to transport electricity from point A to point B as safely, as efficiently, and, and reliably um, as possible. While that remains a primary focus, within the mission critical space, it's gotten more complex as, as the grid has gotten um, more integrated together. So, and the electric grid isn't the only thing that these guys are, are monitoring anymore. Um, we've seen a significant increase in physical security monitoring. This, this could be uh, camera and access control points to the perimeter of the actual control center building. Uh, it could also be remote cameras from substations. And, you know, some of our viewers may have caught clips on the news of a substation attack out in California or out in the Southeast. Th these are very common occurrence, about 50 of these uh, occur a year. And it's, you know, borderline uh, domestic terrorism. It's, it's a really big threat 
to the electric grid <clears throat> and the utilities are trying to um, you know, prevent that from occurring. So the utility operators are continuously being asked to do more and to monitor more systems as the electric grid is continuing to, to evolve um, and get more. Um, so for any listeners who are unclear, and this for myself was a little confusing at first also, but there's certainly a difference between transmission and distribution operations. Can you briefly explain that to us? Yeah, uh, so it's a, it's a really good question. And really where I think I'll start is briefly covering the entire electric grid because I think it'll help paint uh, the picture of what these different roles are. So really where you're gonna start out is with generation facilities. That's where electricity is created and common generation uh, resources would include coal, natural gas, nuclear or hydro, wind, solar. And generally speaking, folks don't want to live next to a coal plant or a nuclear plant. Um, so these generation facilities are usually located in pretty remote areas. And here's where the transmission comes in. The, the electricity is created and then it's transmitted over high voltage power lines. And these power lines can span just incredibly long and vast distances. There's over 200,000 miles of transmission power lines in the US alone. Um, so most folks think of the power lines that are above ground, but they can also be you know, undergrounded and in some cases even put underneath. Uh, once those high voltage transmission lines are, are reach a populated area, they go into a substation. That's where the power is stepped down into a kilovolt more, more suitable for you and I um, to interface with. And the electricity then leaves the substation on the distribution lines and it goes to your house, it goes to your work, um, et cetera. So this description probably makes the power grid sound very point A to point B going along the line from generation, transmission and distribution. Uh, but, but it really is far from it. There are multiple generation sites that are being tied to multiple transmission lines running into multiple substations and, and the entire grid really is interconnecting, allowing for a single failure in the chain to be isolated and then power rerouted around said failure. So if once you kind of understand that baseline of how the electric grid operates, you, know, you can see how transmission and generation are very closely tied together. Um, so a transmission operator is monitoring the power demand versus the generation capability and they're balancing that load in real time. So their primary tool that they're using to do this is a SCADA application referred to as Energy Management System, or EMS. You're gonna find there is a boatload of acronyms um, in the electric utility space, so we'll do our best to kind of define them as we're going through. Uh, so transmission, primarily interfacing with EMS. Conversely, a distribution operator is primarily focusing on getting that power from the substation to you. And this is done with a SCADA application called Distribution Management Systems, or DMS, or you'll even hear of Advanced Distribution Management Systems, or ADMS now, depending on um, the capabilities of that SCADA application. So their job is reliably delivering the power to you and reducing outages and coordinating responses to any outages, because none of us enjoy being without power. Um, so those are the, the two primary roles that you're going to see in a transmission control center and their goals and objectives, and a distributor operator in, in a distribution center and what they're attempting to. That is so helpful to actually really wrap your head around um, how it all flows together on the grid. Um, I think it's important too to just take a second here and say, 
we're talking about power. We're talking about actual power that's like powering not only our homes, but our businesses and our entire world. So um, in, in that sense, um, I think what these operators do is that more incredibly mission critical. Um, so Lee, I kind of wanted to talk to you about the work itself that these people do. Um, and Sean gave us a really good description before, but I know you mentioned earlier that, um, the, uh, there is kind of a, a difference in this market. So how do you compare the, the delegation of work to control room operators in this market versus say security or transportation or another type of operation center? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, my background when when I started doing this, uh, I, I was focused on all markets. Um, so I got to to sell and see and walk security operation centers and traffic management centers and network operation centers. Um, obviously, spending a majority of my time in electric utility control centers now. Uh, but you know what I can take out of my experiences in being in all of these spaces is is that there's a lot of similarities between the operators in, in all these different mission critical environments. Um, they're tasked with monitoring and protecting a particular asset that was deemed um, that that could be uh, anything from how traffic is moving in a traffic management center to monitoring um, either physical assets or people in a security operation center or what we're here to talk about, the electric grid. Um, so, you know, all, all performing very, very important uh, roles and a majority of their time is relatively mundane, right? Um, things are not happening 24 7, 365, but throughout all of that downtime, all these guys have to be ready to snap into action in just a, a moment's notice, right? There's, there's not much heads up that you get um, to some type of unforeseen failure or a catastrophic event or anything like that. Where I do feel, um, you know, other mission critical applications are just a little bit more reactionary, whereas electric utilities have invested in the systems to allow them to be a bit more proactive. Um, the example of that that I would use is the LIDAR uh, systems and deployments, right? So believe it or not, the electric, uh, the utilities are, are tracking the clouds to ensure that there isn't an unexpected drop off in, say, solar production. So the coordination that occurs across the grid and in real time, um, I, I think is truly amazing for these utility operators. Absolutely. Um, I, these operators are um, just absolutely astounding to me with all the work that, that needs to happen and goes on behind the scenes. And Sean, I think, um, being from Winstead, a company that focuses on, you know, the technical furniture and, and consoles that these operators are at um, for long periods of time, um, I was hoping that you could explain, you know, some of the considerations that go into the operator workspaces and what is truly important as far as both the physical furniture, the technology, but anything else needed to make sure that these operators are comfortable and as efficient as possible. Yeah, that's a great topic. And really that's kind of the key of why we're all here. You know, the reason why we're here is to better equip the operator to manage any said situations that arise. Um, and, you know, we said it very well that, you know, the, these situations can happen sometimes in a blink of an eye. It might not necessarily just be 
oh, we know there's a hurricane coming and we know that there's a response that, that's going to have to happen in order to, to, to manage the damage that comes from the hurricane. But it could come down to, uh, you know, there's another type of event where it's an earthquake and it's just it's completely unpredicted or, um, you, you know, heaven forbid, there's a there's an act of terrorism, like like Lee mentioned as well, where, you know, it could just simply be for a distribution uh, operator where um, a truck takes out a, a power line or something like that. You know, all these all these situations are things that they just need to be always kind of ready uh, at a moment's notice. And really the job of what we're trying to do here is we're trying to really just interface um, what's going on between, all right, what we're trying to do is we're trying to interface all the operator's tool to the operator themselves and kind of creating what we, we like to call a micro environment. And when we talked about that operator out type of design philosophy, that's really kind of where it starts. It starts with the operator and then it starts with how are we gonna connect him to his tool sets? How are we gonna connect him to that technology? And really, the Winstead console is only, is only you know that intersection point between the operator and the technology because that's what we're here to do. We're here to just make sure that there's a place, the right place, and the ergonomic place to fit all these different tool sets, all these monitors, all these phones and radios and different tools that they need to interface with uh, on a daily basis. So we start to take and look at the way that the operator does this day-to-day -day business and say, okay, well, we understand that you know you've got you know a phone system, you've got a radio system. Um, you know, what side of the, of, the, of the desk should they be on that you can interface it easily with? You may have 12 monitors on your desk. You may have six monitors on your desk. You know, what are the resolutions of those monitors? What are you looking at? Do you interface with them more than not? And kind of arranging them in the right spaces so that they can see them the best. Because, again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that all the important information is presented to them in the, in the most efficient way possible. That way they can instantly make uh, a read on something that could potentially be a problem and then react to that problem to solve the problem. And the quicker that we can do that and the more efficiently we can do that at the at that micro environment of the operator area, you know, that's that's what we really want to try to do. And we're going to duplicate that same process between every different operator that's in the room because again, as we mentioned, some of those operators have a completely different task than the guy next to them. But then there's communication flows that we have to look at between each one of these micro environments that play into the effect of the macro environment, which is the overall room. And then, you know, again, setting that, that macro environment up correctly, uh, you know, with the right overview displays, with the right, uh, you know, control systems that, that work with that, with the right lighting systems, with the right HVAC systems, you know, making sure that all of this stuff kind of ties together in harmony is really what the, the overall design goal is of anyone that's doing design and, and control rooms, because we're here to make the operation more successful and to make sure that we can recognize these problems quicker so that we can have faster responses. Um, and I think that's that's just the main goal we kind of look at every time we go into these, these types of projects. Yeah, I, I um, think that it sometimes it could be overwhelming with how many different factors have to be considered in these types of spaces. And I'm curious to know with your experience, um, do you have any, any stories or any experiences of um, some some common obstacles that um, operators have to overcome or um, any tips that you see in um, commonly overlooked um, design considerations when it comes to these consoles and operators? I think for one, the, the, the biggest thing we need to win, we've got to, it's all about education, you know, during that design phase is to say, okay, you know, everybody that sits at their desk, even, even we're own over the zone of habit, 
because we understand that everything that we're doing at our desk, you know, we might not be thinking about, oh, well, should I try to move it to the other side because it's more convenient? You must take a, a, a fresh look and a fresh pair of eyes at your overall operating area and say, is it, am I really doing this? One of the biggest places that we try to talk to convince, talk to people about is understanding the difference between the type of data that they're looking at. And there's two different types of data that we like to talk about. One is task data and one's viewable data. And task data is anything that you're interfacing with on the day-to-day basis so that you actually have to go and you have to set, you know, different values in a, in a specific application. Or is it just a dashboard that has some KPIs on it or just generalized information? You know, a lot of control centers that I walk into, they the operators want to have everything right in front of them. And I don't blame them. I want that too. Just because, you know, again, the more the more information they have, the better equipped they are to be able to deal with the scenario. The, the, the problem with that, though, is they wind up with 12 and 13 monitors on their desk. And we really just can't process all that information. Or we wind up with all these multiple little windows all over the all over a single monitor. And, and it, while it's there and while they can, you know, click on it and open it up, it's really not something that's just as simple as an eye movement to see the information and then go back to the task that they're doing. So we try to take stock in that what the difference and show what the difference is between the task data and the viewable data. And then we can say that, okay, all these things that are occurring that are task data, we need to keep that on the desk. But maybe we have some of that viewable data that we can move off to a display wall uh, into into an overview video wall or something like that. That way it's there for the room. And if every operator wants to see that same piece of data, as long as the video walls are set up correctly, you can put that on the video wall and that data is there for everyone in the room to look at without taking up any real estate on their desk. And kind of trying to work through some of those some of those different data pieces and, da- and data points, you know, that can create additional space. Sometimes you can take them, an operator that maybe has eight displays and take them down to six or even take them down to four, depending on what they're working with. Uh, and that's really one of the challenges that when we kind of go in and start talking to the operators to say, okay, you know, this is how we're going to start to look at your day to day. Okay. And, you know, it's really important that they're comfortable with the, with the solutions that you're recommending, because if it's not something that they have buy into, they're not going to, they're not going to use it. They're just going to go back and, you know, load up as much stuff. So if you remove two other monitors, now you're just going to create even smaller windows. So you have to kind of educate and, and explain to them why they need to do what they need to do. Um, but, but that, that's a great instance. And that's something that we do every time we go into every control room is just kind of that educational piece, you know, the video wall that's there isn't just a replacement to put up your entire energy system and say, there's my big wall, there's my big map, you know, this is how the energy flows through it. While that's important, there's all this other stuff that they need to have in order uh, to, to kind of create some of those some of those efficiencies in the operator to display wall model. Uh, so again, if we can kind of move some of that information, create some space, clean it up, that that, you know, creates a little bit more of an efficient process. And then we only have to deal with one instance of that graphic being being shown instead of, you know, potentially 12. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And those are a lot of good tips, Sean. Okay, so I think this is actually a really good point to uh, zoom out a little bit. Um, Lee, so the operator is ready to monitor and analyze data and take appropriate actions. Um, what are some examples of what they're looking at? Uh, we talked, we touched on SCADA and, and that type of thing, but um, are there any other examples of kind of what the operator is looking at, maybe from the, the viewable data uh, perspective? By building on what Sean just said, right, the early parts of my career, we spent trying to achieve 
situational awareness, ingesting all of these different content sources from uh, various networks, uh, uh, local sources, remote sources. And I, you know, I would argue uh, we, we created situational awareness five plus years ago, but in the process of doing that, um, created what I refer to as situational blindness, right? You have so much content, it's really difficult for these operators um, to, to comprehend all of it. So the way that you structure your content within the control room on the overview display wall um, and at the local monitors is a really important process of control control room design. So kind of as I touched on earlier, you know, the transmission operators are, are monitoring vast networks of transmission lines. Um, uh, everything that's gonna be done from that is coming from their uh, EMS system. Um, and these may be a transmission control center, TCC, maybe a transmission operation center or talk. Um, but that's primarily what, you know, the, the utility systems that, that they're interfacing with. Um, distribution, uh, Primarily work in two main systems, being the, the DMS, the distribution management, we touched on earlier, or an OMS, an outage management system. Now, content that may be utilized uh, on both sides of the house could be GIS data, security cameras, uh, local and national you know, news feeds, um, just so that they have up-to-date information on what's going around, whether it's um, a local event or maybe a national event. Um, and then this data may be used to coordinate resources, you know, internally or even externally uh, within the utility, such as, um, you know, government emergency management services. And I think a great example of that, a really cool project that, uh, you know, Barco and, and Vistacon were involved together was the Reading EOC. Um, and the Reading EOC, the running joke about EOC is, did it, did it stand for energy management system or energy operations center? Or did it stand for emergency operations center? And it actually fulfilled both functions. So it was both the, the center point for their utility monitoring with their uh, SCADA systems. And it also had fire data and fire personnel in it being located relatively rural area of California that um, is known to have wildfires. It was an incredibly unique uh, center that came together that was involving the utility and the fire department in one space. So in the event um, of some type of failure that could cause uh, massive, you know, um, either structural loss or potentially lives, they had those EMS resources located within the control center and could respond to it even yeah, what a what a really cool um, project uh, just from the hybrid standpoint, being able to accomplish both in one center um, was absolutely um, incredible to see that come together. Um, so um, as far as um, what's important in ensuring these control centers have the right visualization technology in order to make those, all those applications you just described, um, you know, as effectively, um, you know, displayed as possible. What kind of considerations go into that? And um, can you walk us through how those decisions are made and what types of video walls are implemented thereafter? Yeah. Uh, so the, the way that transmission and distributions interact with their visualization technologies is, is slightly different. Um, but just to speak generally to it, the overview display wall, which is often thought of as the focal point of every control room, uh, is really in place just to provide the overall status of the electric grid 
and providing situational awareness to all the system operators and key stakeholders within the space. While transmission operations is a bit more static, distribution operations involves a little bit more uh, operator intervention uh, as unforeseen events occur. Uh, transmission operators may drill down at the EMS, uh, the operator level, while leaving the overview display wall completely showing those vast distances of transmission lines. Distribution operators are, are often tasked uh, more with monitoring a specific region of the distribution network. What the traditionally leads to uh, is a very large overview display wall for transmission operations, whereas distribution often deploys more of a pod architecture design um, that may consist of several smaller video walls, uh, each implementing a specific region of their electric grid. So as far as video wall technologies go, there's three primary technologies that are used to create video walls today. Um, first and foremost is rear projection laser. Uh, rear projection is the catalyst of command and control. It's been around uh, since the 80s and the 90s. And uh, Barco's continued to evolve that technology with RGB lasers uh, as the illumination sources. It's still a very popular choice in, in electric utility operations. Another technology is LCD. Um, LCD is, is really great. Minimal footprint can hang on a wall, um, relatively low as far as initial cost of deployment goes. And, and not a new technology, but a new technology that we're seeing coming into the space is direct view LED. As the pixel pitches have gotten smaller, allowing for closer viewing distances, this is also a technology um, that's being looked at in, in electric utility operations. Um, so when you when you look at what are the criteria uh, for it, uh, the technology selection will be based on a, a variety of different things: uh, footprint availability, visual acuity, what type of, of source content is it, and, and of course budget. Each one of these technologies is definitely coming at, at a different price point. Uh, but what I absolutely love about working at Barco is we're the only ones that are offering all three technologies, and that really allows us to approach each control center completely agnostic from a technology perspective. Absolutely, I can second that um, as far as uh, loving Barco and all that you do. <laughs> um, hey, Sean, I wanted to touch on sight lines. Um, something that we talk about often within the control room space as a whole. Um, so what is it and why is it really um, a non-negotiable design requirement in control rooms? So sight lines are basically the, the the path that the eye takes to the viewable data, and really what we were looking for and the what we're trying to achieve is an unobstructed view to our data. So when you're sitting at your desk, uh, the, the 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 primary thing that you're working from is you're working from your desktop monitors, and again those desktop monitors come in different sizes, different aspect ratios. Some are really wide, some are really tall, some are just big in general. Um, but each one of those ha has a physical footprint that's different than the next. But then when you look at everything beyond that, and when you talk about sight lines, you might be looking at, okay, do I need sight line to another operator in the room? Uh, do I, does my supervisor need to have a sight line, not necessarily to my information, but a sight line to me so that I can see if that he can, that he or she can see if my movements are starting to become more animated and I'm starting to be in a more stressed situation. That's, that's kind of one of the things that, that, that supervisors are looking at, not necessarily at their data, but just judging body movements to say, okay, is, is someone in trouble? You know, should I get them some help? Should I go down there and just see what's going on? Um, you, you know, that that's one type of, of sight line that you need to be aware of. 
the, the most common one that we think about is the, the sight line from the operator position beyond their monitors at their desk to the overview technology. Uh, like Lee said, whether it's you know LCD video wall or a projection cube video wall or, or direct view LED, um, that sight line, the idea is that when you're looking beyond your desk and you're kind of looking across the top of your screen, your eyes are, are easily able to train in just a simple rotation to go from desk level up to the video wall area. And you don't wanna cut off the bottom part of the video wall. So for instance, you wouldn't wanna design a control center with a gigantic wall that only has an eight foot ceiling, um, you know, and you know, half of that is below the sight line. Because again, if you can't see it, it's kind of useless information. So trying to kind of size your walls correctly uh, using some of these ergonomic standards for sight lines is something that's important. And it's not just about, you know, the, the vertical uh, viewing cone and the vertical sight line. It's also about the horizontal. There are different vision fields that you want to make sure that you're, that you're incorporating here. You know, you've got your, your verticals and your horizontals. But again, trying to achieve the majority of the information in a focused cone where you're just moving or you're just working in eye rotations is ideal. But then when you start to look at head rotations, but we don't want to have so many monitors on the desk that we have to that we have to like physically move our bodies over here to look at something different and then come back into train center and then look up or way up at a video wall. Because, again, all those things, uh, you know, just have a different effect on the body. But to get back to your question about the sight line, I mean, really, we're, we're trying to achieve an unobstructed sight line from your personal operating environment up to your video wall that's unobstructed and in a comfortable view. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, visibility is the goal, right? And optimizing that, that visibility, whether it is the viewable data, um, the, the sight lines, or even like Sean mentioned, um, the things like being able to view your operator as well from where the supervisor sits. Uh, those are all factors that I think sometimes people are not um, thinking about in the ways that they, they need to be when they're designing their control room. Um, so thanks, John, on that. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, Lee, I think um, the energy utilities market is probably one of the most like rapidly changing and advancing. Um, so when it comes to data visualization, what are some technology trends that you see really taking shape or have the potential to become a new standard? Uh, so a, a large trend, uh, selfishly a great trend, that, that we're seeing in electric utilities is standing up additional control centers. So COVID really brought to light some vulnerabilities previously not thought of. Uh, while most utilities were operating a primary and a backup control center, tertiary sites are now being implemented in, in the case there's some type of outbreak or in the primary or the backup center. Um, all these extreme weather patterns that, that we hear about from the heat in the West to snow in the East, uh, has forced utilities to to increase operations um, and, and the response time in those emergency situations. So depending on the geographic location of that utility, we're starting to see a lot more storm centers, a lot more emergency operation centers are popping up. Um, and my, my personal favorite trend uh, in emerging uh, space is standing up a dedicated physical and cybersecurity center that they're no longer asking uh, their power operators to also monitor security data, but they're creating dedicated spaces um, to do so and dedicated personnel to do so. 
Um, so I think that just allows, you know, the power operators to focus on power and dedicated personnel and security, I think, provides uh, an overall better, you know, approach. Um, so what this ends up doing, though, is, is, is it does create some challenges in synchronizing efforts um, across more and more of these mission critical facilities. Um, in Barco, fortunately, has some technologies and federation capabilities or our secure stream um, mobile content sharing platform that that really helps with the. Uh, in addition to that, we've talked more about more and more of the systems and the sources or content that are being brought into these spaces. Another heavy point of emphasis is on streamlining the operator efficiency. I know Sean has, has really gotten into this and, and probably is the foremost expert on the whole industry on this, but it's all about improving the ergonomics at the desktop level, right? So a traditional control center, you go back 10 years ago, you, you may have walked in there and it was a horseshoe of monitors. Um, there might've been, uh, you know, eight, 10, 27 inch, maybe they were HD resolution uh, monitors, but you know, it was literally impossible for an operator um, to, to see all of that and to keep your peripherals engaged over long periods of time. And so really what, what we're trying to do now is consolidate all that data that they need to see, but into a more condensed viewing cone for them to be able to view it. And that's really led to um, you know, some larger monitors being located at the desktop. Uh, 27 inches would now be considered small, you know, 32 inch 4Ks relatively um, standard size to be deployed, or even UHD, 32.9 aspect ratio monitors are, are now. There's a lot of advantages to that aspect ratio as it pertains to the lot, uh, the sight lines that Sean was talking about and still being able to, to see uh, the, the, the overall the uh, video wall uh, overall. So Barco's OpSpace platform uh, was created just for that. We're now seeing utilities uh, start to take an interest in deploying a technology like that that was historically just too forward of a leap. Um, and all of a sudden, they're really starting to see the value in some of the systems that exist. So it's a really exciting time just in regards to um, utilities and, and their desire to implement new technology. Thanks, Lee. That's a lot of awesome insight. And Josh, it just reminds me that we have some two really smart guys here with us today. Yes. Um, if our listeners don't know Lee or Sean, they truly are subject matter experts in this field. So speaking of trends and the outlook for the energy and utilities market specifically, Sean, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Lee kind of touched on some of it. Uh, and really, it's all about how we're connecting the operators to their technology. Uh, there's more and more and more tool sets and, uh, and technology that they're using every day. And, you know, as as, tech, as technology people, we're trying to show them more efficient ways to use it. Um, and we got into something uh, kind of important with these new advanced KVM technologies that are out there. Um, you, you know, that's one of the it's, it's one of the more harder systems to get to be implemented and to be adopted. But they're the ones that can usually make the most impact on a day-to-day -day operation, simply because if you can reduce the amount of keyboards on a desk, you know, ideally that's, that's, that's something that's great. Cause you know, used to be, you walked into a control room, you know, a few years ago and there was eight keyboards on a desk. And the only way that they knew which one it was was because of a different colored piece of tape that was on the keyboard or the same with the mice. Um, you know, but it's all about if you can kind of condense those and say, okay, now I really only need one or maybe I only need two. Um, to interface with all of my technology uh, screens and sources, you know, that's really something that's powerful. 
Um, any way that we can reduce interface points or reduce, um, you know, clutter even on the desk is something that we that we want to do. Uh, some of these new widescreen displays and, and being able to have those supported is something that's really important. Because um, again, while we're trying to manage the ergonomics and the sight lines that we talked about, some of those wider screen displays have a shorter height. So you can see over them a little bit better. Or with some of the, the Winstead console options that we have, we have drop wells where the monitors are actually going to mount lower on the desk uh, so that you can improve those sight lines. So again, kind of, kind of just making sure that we're really focusing on the ergonomics and keeping the operator first through all of this is really the most important thing. Because if we can make the operators day a little bit better, I mean, they're the ones that are really out there, you know, delivering the power that, that we need every day. And, and you know, they're, it's just a, such an important job to, to be able to support. Absolutely. Again, operator out approach. I think that's probably the best tagline that I, that I heard from you guys. And uh, it's definitely going to stick with me. Um, Sean, something else that I hear a lot of chatter about is uh, renewables. I think a lot of our listeners are definitely curious on um, your take on energy efficient resource developments and renewables in general and how these might be a part of the control room of the future. Yeah, I mean, renewables are, are, are an important part of today's society. And I mean, um, you know, as we're trying to get away from our dependence on fossil fuels, you know, we're trying to look at new and creative ways to, uh, to have more wind energy or to have more, uh, you know, hydropower um, or even solar power, you know, but there's a delicate balancing act. You know, we talk about in our day-to-day -day residential lives where, oh, okay, I want to put solar panels on my house so that I can, you know, kind of start to generate my own electricity. Or, you know, I want to get an electric car because it's it's more eco-friendly. You know, all these things have a bigger impact on the overall electric system. I mean, if you think about the idea of taking, you know, if everyone in Texas had a had an electric car, you know, the amount of charging that's required for that, the grid in Texas can't support that. And that's not just Texas, that's anywhere, you know, any in any state. So you have to look at kind of the balancing act between renewables. But as we're bringing in more of these renewable uh, renewable energy sources, that's also something that all of our transmission operators have to be aware of, you know, and they're, they're monitoring all of that influx of additional power. So if you all of a sudden have every house in a state covered in solar panels that's producing power, all that power has to go somewhere if it's not being consumed. So that goes back to the electric grid. They have to be able to manage that and they're forecasting that. So there's balancing authorities that are really looking at this information real time all the time to be able to say, okay, what's the demand? You know, we have to be able to manage the demand and we have to be able to manage the supply. It's just like anything else, there's supply and demand. So if you can kind of balance that out with more renewables than what you would be on fossils, that's where you kind of start to create the more eco-friendly option. Uh, but you know, of course there's other problems that we look at too in the future uh, you know, as we talk about renewables is, you know, all these wind turbines that we're putting together, what are we, what are we doing with the, with the blades when they come off, you know, if they become damaged, um, you know, what are we doing with all the solar panels once we're done with them? What are we doing with all the batteries, you know, once, once we're done storing energy with them as they go bad, you know, there's a, there's a longer chain of economic or of, of, or of environmental impact that kind of goes along with some of this stuff. But all these things are very important. You know, one of the things that I don't want to discount though is the idea of, you know, smaller form factor nuclear power that's coming along too. You know, there's being huge advancements made in that. You know, it's becoming more safer, more reliable technology. Um, and, it's, and it's a clean and, and, and a very, you know, eco-friendly option. Uh, so again, you know, there, it's not like the old nuclear of the past where, you know, if there's a problem with it, it's gonna, 
you know, melt down and cause a Chernobyl effect or something like that. It's not, it's not like that anymore. So there's different ways that we can support, you know, different types of power to be able to more efficiently maintain the grid. A new diverse set of power resources comes a new diverse set of challenges that come with it. Um, especially in, in the control room environments. Uh, Lee, I kind of wanted to just like shift the same question over to you. Um, uh, how are you seeing renewables creating a shift or new challenges? Um, and uh, if you don't mind also maybe touching on uh, those small devices, what those DERs are and, uh, and what, the, what, they're, uh, what, what they're creating in the environments as well. Uh, sure, so you know, re renewables um, are both a shift and a new challenge uh, simultaneously. Um, so re renewable energies, you know, a term I'd expect most of uh, the viewers here have heard of before. Uh, these are generation resources, wind, solar, hydro, uh, incredibly popular, it covered in the media, and, and honestly, very exciting addition to the grid. Historically, you know, your, your nuclear reactor or your coal plant was either producing energy or, or it isn't, um, and that's plant. For the most part with renewables you know planned and unplanned energy production drops have to be accounted for so this requires just a lot more coordination or faster responses um, you know in, in general i do look at renewables as very complementary to the historic generation aspects of the electric utility um, again I'm, i happen to be a big fan of nuclear technology um, and it is safe it is clean it is very well regulated in the united states uh, for uh, big, big fan of that. And I love the complementary resources. Um, what I'm the most excited about just from, you know, going along with how we're generating all this power is, is going to be how energy storage continues to develop. Um, it's been talked about for a number of years. Uh, quite honestly, it was always more hypothetical than anything um, on large on large scales. You know, you got the Tesla batteries that you can buy in your house. Um, but they are working and progressing towards being able to store larger amounts of power. So when you are uh, generating solar power, for example, um, while the sun is up, being able to store unused power and continue to transmit that power at night when there is no sun. So it is, it is very excited. Um, as far as how it goes, I thought Sean made uh, just a great comment. One of the big markets that we're seeing is that small form factor nuclear reactors. Um, there's several private companies that, that are really taking uh, the charge on that. Um, Barco and Vistacom were fortunate enough to be involved with X Energy and their efforts in standing up a mission critical space um, to be monitoring all of their, their manufacturing and safety uh, protocols going on there. And, and then transitioning out of renewables, but into something that is very similar to renewables, DERs. Um, I said you were going to get a lot of different acronyms. There's another one. DER stands for Distributed Energy Resources. Um, and just to keep it really simple, think of that as the solar panels on your house. This is no longer um, a solar farm that's owned or, or operated via a lease by an investor-owned utility. But what is actually on your house? You're creating your own energy. You're reducing uh, your need on the grid of other generates and resources. Um, maybe your system breaks or maybe uh, you just decide to turn it off. That That is your right here. It's a challenge on the grid uh, to plan for these resources that they do not directly control. Uh, I expect we'll continue to see more and more DERs being deployed in the industry. 
and the industry is going to work uh, towards creating standards and systems to increase and leverage um, these resources. Oh, man, I could pick your brain for hours, but I think it is time to probably wrap this up. But again, thank you guys so much for joining us today. You both are truly the goats when it comes to technology in this market and certainly our go-to partners at Vistacom. So um, before we wrap up, um, do you guys, um, are you guys on social media? How can our listeners learn more about your respective companies? You want to give a plug there real quick? Sure. I pride myself on, uh, never having been on social media, uh, but you, <laughs> you can find me on, uh, just LinkedIn or barco.com and we've got a great team ready and able to assist you. Yeah. Same with me. I'm not a social media guy, but I am on LinkedIn. You can always find me there. Uh, and again, winstead.com. You can find us at some of the local trade shows. We're partnering up with Barco coming up at Distributech. Um, so we're hoping to see uh, a lot of the utility industry out there. Uh, but yeah, feel free to drop us a line anytime. We're here to help anybody that needs any help. Perfect. You know what, Leanna? I think we might have to ask these guys to come back on for another episode in the future. I think there's a lot of topics that we could expand on for sure. Um, Agreed. All right. So, okay, everyone out there, please be sure to join us next time to unravel more tech in the pro AV world, as well as the control room solution environments. Um, and just remember, you can't spell tech unraveled without AV. All right. Bye, everyone.